Welcome back to ATBS, the podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I met today's guest this past February at a holotropic breathwork workshop in Oakland, California. He was one of three facilitators who were handpicked by Stan Groff to assist with the weekend workshop. And what a weekend it was. My guest is an author, a facilitator, an astrologer, an excellent chef, and a really nice guy. And I'll admit, I'm a bit intimidated, but very excited to welcome Ren Butler to ATBS, the podcast. Thank you for listening to all things big and small, ATBS, the podcast. My name is Keith Gorman, good friend of Jeff Volmerick's. Jeff's doing some wonderful things. I encourage you to become a patron. Go to atbs.com and click on the patron link. Now back to the program. Ren Butler, welcome to ATBS, the podcast. Thanks for joining. Great to be here, Jeff. You're streaming into the pod ship from Vancouver Island, beautiful Vancouver Island, yes? Yes, I'm in Victoria, a block from the ocean. I can see the Olympic Mountains when I walk down there. It's it's really magnificent. And what a great time of year. We were talking the other day. I mean, this is, uh, you know, summertime on the island has to be spectacular. Well, we really pay for our beautiful summers with the long, wet winters, but it is, is glorious here right now. That's beautiful. I come from a place in upstate New York, up in the Adirondack Park, Lake Placid, New York, which is in some ways very similar to what you just said, right? Like summers are spectacular. There are beautiful times of the year, but when the weather gets really nice there and my, I still have family there and I, I'm like, you know, nobody deserves it more than you guys <laughs> because, because it's a long time coming to get to the really good stuff. So for my listeners, I think it's worth noting that Ren Butler and I met in mid-February of 2020 Seems like a really, really long time ago. Seems like another lifetime almost. And from my perspective, I had the privilege of joining a group of people in Oakland, California for a holotropic breathwork shop weekend with Stan Groff and his wife, Brigitta, and you, Ren, and wonderful facilitators, and I think 14 or 15 other folks. And if it was 30 days later, we wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to pull it off due to the pandemic. And so I think just a, you know, a moment in time. And for me, it was, you know, experiencing holotropic breathing and being in Stan Groff's presence and yours, you know, knowing that I was in the presence of incredibly experienced practitioners was truly a gift. And it was just something spectacular. I hope that others will have that experience over time. There was a great weekend, Valentine's Day weekend, in this old character match in Oakland. Yeah. If you'd be willing to give people a little bit of history on your pathway, I, we've talked about it a little bit, you know, where you started, how did you end up at Esalen and really in a spectacular convergence of, I guess, history and humans and exploration and beyond all that you've done since then? Yeah, well... I was uh, raised in a Mormon family. I'm the oldest son and, you know, a lot of pressure put on 
the oldest child in those families to be high achievers. However, my parents left the Mormon church in 1969, and my dad had been to Esalen several times for month-long workshops, which were some of the pivotal moments in his break from the church, also the civil rights uh, movement. So my rebellion kind of against my parents, in intervening years, they started a back-to-the-land commune in 1970, actually, near Edmonton, Alberta, on the Sturgeon River, beautiful piece of land, and, and we had war resistors there and students and professors, and it really was an incredible opportunity. My eyes were wide open from that point on. <laughs> And I was exposed to a lot of amazing things. An encounter was happening there, gestalt, you know, body work and things like that. So my rebellion against my parents was I kind of went back the other direction a bit. When I went off to university, I wanted to be a lawyer and, you know, joined a kind of academic fraternity and got really high marks. But I realized that I had a lot of emotional issues I needed to work on. So I went to Esalen, and the plan was to just go for a month and get some healing and get back on track. But I ended up staying for a whole year as a work scholar and changed my life. Yeah, I'd say. What a fascinating, well, it's fascinating to hear you say that your rebellion against your parents was kind of the straight and narrow, right? Like, I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to be in academics. And so many people, you know, even into today's world, are their rebellion is in a different direction, right? Everybody wants them to be on the straight and narrow and they go off in some other direction. So you ended up at Esalen and spent some time there. And then I, I know that you spent time there during the 80s and, and different stints or different opportunities to be there. It seems as though there were really probably many, many influencers, but Stan Groff and Richard Tarnas seem like giants that were collaborating and you happened to be there. You know, Talk to me about that a little bit, please. Yes, I got to do a number of workshops there, including with Dick Price, the founder of Esalen, co-founder, and Christine Price. The most influential people in my life were you know, Rick Tarnas and Stan Groff. I remember sometime, Jeff, in the spring of 1980 when I was there, and I was back in the inner recesses of the Esalen office in one of the rooms there where I hardly ever went with Rick. And Stan came in and he said, you know, Ren, I'd like you to meet Stan Groff. And I didn't know who he was, but Stan was just so warm. He just came up and gave me a big hug. And um, that was the first time I really connected with him. So I had a number of conversations with Rick Tarnas through that year, 1980, in the, the Esalen hot tubs and in the Esalen garden. And, you know, just had a huge impact on me. At the end of that year, he had finished his prototype of Prometheus the Awakener, unpublished version of it. And I was one of the first people to read that. And I offered him modest feedback I could muster. But I just thought it was incredibly brilliant. And I was already interested in astrology when I went to Esalen. About four months before I got there, I got into astrology. But this was a quantum leap. And it was meeting Rick and continues to be a light in my life. It's it's like a love affair. I'm excited about astrology and it, that hasn't wavered for one minute in 40 years. And then he turned me on to the importance of Stan Groff's work and he considered him the successor to Freud and Jung, you know, uh, one of the great spiritual teachers on the planet. 
near the end of 1980, I got to be in a month-long workshop with Stan and Christina and guests like Fritjof Capra, Angelis Arian. A bit of a who's who, really. And one of the things I do here on ATBS podcast is I try and put as much reference material as I can in the program notes. And so I appreciate the background. And then you got to spend time there, learn and share and explore with these people at Esalen. And then you've written your own books. You have your own podcast. You've been at this now, as you said, for 40 years on your own. And then the light has never dimmed for you, which is something you don't hear too often from too many people in their life's work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel blessed. And, you know, meeting Rick Tarnas was a major infusion in, in that process. I He really was a renaissance man. And, you know, he was the lead guitar player in the Esalen band and Esalen, which had an anti-intellectual bent to it, which was an important part of Esalen was to get back into our bodies, our feelings, you know, our emotions out of the head. Rick was interested in all that and was fully exploring that side of Esalen, but he also maintained his interest in Western civilization and in trying to correlate new age and human potential ideas with the great Western project, the development of freedom, of autonomy, and some of the resources from the West's own history around deep self-exploration, such as the mystery religions of Greece and the Mediterranean. There were psychedelic religions all through the Mediterranean and the Middle East for thousands of years that used mushrooms and in some cases ergot, and they were a very important part of the development of Western civilization. Many of the giants of Greek and Hellenistic civilization participated in these, such as the Eleusinian mysteries at Eleusis near Athens and wrote and attested to the life-changing power of their experiences of mushroom and ergot, which is a naturally occurring form of LSD experiences. And so there was a, a sense with Rick that you didn't have to throw away the good things in Western high culture, that somehow that they could be part of the new worldview, that we could redeem them, just go a little further. And Rick sees the whole evolution of the Western mind as a kind of trajectory, the development of moral and intellectual autonomy, which then eventually leads to a crisis, kind of like a birth labor, and that we are now crowning before our eyes that this new part of humanity is trying to be born, a higher side within each of us. And he sees it as a kind of birth labor. And he has a famous quote, patriarchy is the 5,000-year birth canal of the great mother goddess. And we are right in the crowning moment right now. And nobody knows if, if we'll make it or not. We have many escalating ecological threats, nuclear proliferation, and so on. But it's a very exciting time. And the return of the feminine is just such an intrinsic part of that. How long has your third book been out? Uh, about three weeks. Titled, Oh Goddess. That's exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, the subtitle is Love, Eros, and Transcendence in Astrology. It's essentially a book on all the different 
planetary archetypal combinations like Sun, Pluto, Venus, Neptune, Mars, Saturn, and so forth, and how they manifest in people's emotional and romantic lives. And I spice it with humor. There are a lot of original cartoons in the book, all in color, beautiful perinatal drawings that illustrate Groff and Tarnas' work. There are also major sections on relationship astrology, like if you're Venus is in a trine with your wife's Neptune that will have a certain romantic, uh, sweet quality, and so on. Yeah, it was about a 4,000-hour project, and I just got it out, so I'm still in the afterglow of that. I would say, yeah, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, Your third book, the first being Pathways to Wholeness. When did you release Pathways to Wholeness? That was published in England by Muswell Hill Press in 2014. And the subtitle is uh, Archetypal Astrology and the Transpersonal Journey. The core of the book are session reports of people that did psychedelic assisted psychotherapy or in some cases, ayahuasca sessions. And then I correlated their experiences in those sessions with their astrological transits. There are a lot of really interesting, rich session reports. Though people that have read any of Stan Groff's writing know that that's probably the most interesting part of all of his writing are these of these uh, reports of people's experiences. So I have a lot of good ones in there, and that's how Rick Tarnas really got into astrology was as a way to understand the content and timing of psychedelic experiences, and he was interested in looking back over his own sessions that he had done and other people's and also as a way to predict good days to do sessions you know high dose Mm -hmm. sessions you know favorable transits for that and that's how archetypal astrology was born is richard tarnas did he you know bring archetypal astrology to the fore did he i read somewhere that he revolutionized the field was he the beginning of it or can you just give me a little bit of background on that Yeah, I mean, there are other people in the huge worldwide community that might call themselves archetypal astrologers. So there's no monopoly or, you know, trademark or something. But he did bring in some major developments that I think have revolutionized astrology. So, you know, we could call it also Tarnas approach. One of the main things is we focus mainly on aspects between the planets. So alignments between the planets these signs and houses would be seen as important, but on a secondary level of influence. Uh, We're looking at the core meanings of the planetary aspects. He makes it clear that in this this new approach that it's non-deterministic and non-fatalistic. We can predict the basic thematic content of a person's experience, the range of emotions they're likely to be going through at a given period, but not the specific concrete manifestations. So he makes it clear that astrology is archetypally predictive, not concretely predictive. We know that we have free will, and we certainly have to act as if we have free will. Our actions, creative co-participation in the embodiment and enactment of these archetypal energies, our relationship with our psyche, also the cultural context that we live in, all help to determine how a given 
planetary archetypal energy will show up in our lives. So we have a, a lot of responsibility to work with the emerging energies from our psyche and turn them toward their most positive forms. I love that. I was talking to somebody the other day and that he was talking about having agency, right? Like, and you just said it, like we have a certain responsibility to participate here in the human experience. It seems to be a very common thread that keeps coming up in my conversations, which is we are beings of free will. We can step out of the lemming mindset, which is this is the direction everybody's going. So I guess I'll just shuffle off in this direction mindlessly. And I think we need to be mindful and we have this opportunity to be engaged in our own experience and the experience of being in this multiverse and having this human experience with a vast human family. There's a certain responsibility that comes with it. Yes. And uh, archetypal astrology is something like a map of the road or the territory. If we go on a trip, we know the most important thing is to keep our eye on the road and to drive carefully and watch the road signs. But having a map can give us a kind of a, an overall long-term sense of, of the direction we're going, you know, curves in the road, forks, and so on. I had this thought before we started. I feel like there's two directions we could go. I mean, there are a lot of directions we could go at this point. I'd love to hear you weave Stanislav Grof and holotropic breathwork. And I'd love to hear, I'd love to weave that, that aspect of what we're talking about into Richard Tarnas and your history and, you know, then holotropic breath workshops and, you know, what that means, what that has the potential to mean for people who may not quite be ready to have a psychedelic experience of their own or, or what have you. And I'd love to go in that direction. And I'd also like to, when appropriate, be able to share with the listeners, how do you relay the depth of your knowledge to someone who is, you know, on the fringe or just looking at one of these doorways or opening of their mind to, huh, that exists. And by that, I mean, archetypal astrology, holotropic breath work, psychedelic work, transpersonal work, non-ordinary states of consciousness. So really, I guess two things, and you can pick which direction we go next. <laughs> well, you know, on the most simplest level, on the most simple level, for people that really haven't begun the process of self-exploration at all, I would say something like, you know how if you have a good cry, you feel better afterwards? You get it out of your system? It's the same thing with every negative emotion. Groff was able to prove that there's a finite amount of negative emotions in the individual psyche, in the individual unconscious traumas that have been stored in the bodies and cells, tissues of our system and our psyche. And we can unpack those leftover traumas by doing systematic sessions. And the whole process of Western depth psychology, which was initiated by Freud in 1900, and then greatly deepened by Jung and Freud's other followers, and then taken in many directions, showed that the material in our unconscious will affect us in negative ways, even if we're not aware of it. So it's not the things that are in our mind that really determine you know, how our life goes. It's our unconscious material that will subtly 
influence our decision-making, our perceptions, our ability to be satisfied and to enjoy what is happening in the present moment and so on, and the things we seem to be drawn toward in situations. And so it is of utmost importance for our well-being that we look at our, our psyche and go after those unconscious traumas and unpack and resolve them. Something is traumatic because too much happens at the time we can't fully surrender to it. We can't fully experience it. We shut down. We try to go numb. And one of Groff's great contributions was realizing that the unconscious does not begin with experiences from infancy. So most people, if they go to a psychotherapist and they're reliving some sexual and physical abuse or sibling rivalry or unmet needs or severe toilet training, things like that, will get you know, well-deserved sympathy for facing those experiences. And it's very important to work through those leftover memories. There can also be traumas, however, from medical events like uh, near drowning or diphtheria, whooping cough, threats to breathing have a meta-trauma in our, our psyches. But Groff, when he did systematic LSD-assisted psychotherapy with his clients uh, beginning in Prague in the 1950s, soon found that his patients were having experiences and reliving events that went deeper than that biographical layer of the psyche. And the first of those realms that they would encounter deeper than the biographical, he calls the perinatal. People began to have experiences of complex twisting movements and pressure in their head and, and activation of aggressive feelings. They could relive specific obstetric details from their births that which could be later be verified by you know the medical records and so on he calls this the perinatal surrounding birth and it's a powerful and highly charged encounter with our birth and also our mortality our fragility as biological organisms the inevitability of death and the importance of facing that and transcending the fear associated with death and our mortality and reaccessing the spiritual dimension of our psyches, essentially where we came from before the onset of birth labor. And the perinatal layer is very important in our well-being and how we perceive the universe, whether we perceive the universe as friendly, Einstein's great question. And it's of utmost importance that we integrate that into our understanding of the human psyche. There's an even deeper realm of experiences, which Groff termed transpersonal. He actually coined that term in 1968. And we can, in psychedelic experiences or holotropic breathwork or trance dancing and other methods, have experiences from the lives of our parents, our ancestors, our racial line, or from all of humanity. These would be collective experiences. Past life experiences are legitimate and real. We can have experiences of the consciousness of a specific animal, plant, even inorganic matter, even human-made objects have consciousness, which we can access in these non-ordinary or holotropic states. And then finally, the other major category 
archetypal and mythological domains, various gods and goddesses, hells, paradises, heavens, purgatories, and so on. And Groff felt that without inclusion of these additional two domains, the perinatal and transpersonal, any therapeutic strategy would be incomplete and less effective. Coming forward a little bit, and this is certainly not a history of Stan Groff, but you know, I know well enough that he got to Esalen and, and in the 70s started to work on and developed holotropic breathing and holotropic breath work as an alternative to LSD therapy. Right. LSD experiences, yeah. He was involved in the last legal uh, psychedelic therapy program in the United States. I think it ended in 1972 at John Hopkins University, if I'm not mistaken. And he was at a party, I believe, in Baltimore and met Michael Murphy, the co-founder of Esalen. Stan said he was planning to write a book. And Michael Murphy said, well, how would you like to come out and be a scholar in residence at Esalen? And you can write your book there. All we would need is that you do two month-long workshops a year. So it was a, just a perfect fit. And Stan was there for 14 years, I believe. Incredible time. Being where I am in my, you know, my journey of life, and oftentimes, I don't know about you, but there are times when I think, wow, that would have been quite a place to be at that time in history. Yeah, and you could, you could go all over historically or geographically. And that, what a spectacular place and time. And I think, you know, Esalen, when, when all of this was happening, I've driven by, I've never been down in there. You've spent such great periods of your life there. And I, as I am on my journey of learning and getting to know people and have, fortunately be able to have conversations like this, it's brings a big smile to my face. I'm glad there are places in the world and times in history where these things happen. Every decade at Esalen has been different and had its own quality. It the wildest time was the first 10 years, probably. And there's a great book called Esalen and the American Awakening. People that are interested in the history of the counterculture will, would in, will enjoy that book a lot. But you asked about holotropic breathwork. So Stan's second wife, Christina, and he were, uh, were offering these month-long workshops at Esalen, and they were looking for a non-drug alternative to his psychedelic research. And they experimented with a number of different techniques, you know, influenced partly by pranayama from India, and also Western experiential techniques like Reiki and Neo-Reiki and Radix, rebirthing primal therapy. And eventually arrived at a combination of deep and rapid breathing done lying down with evocative music and then focused body work, a type of body work that is offered to the clients at the end of sessions if they're unresolved, and then mandala drawing to integrate and record the experience. And one of the distinguishing features of the holotropic breathwork is you choose a partner at the beginning of the workshop that you feel comfortable with, and one of you will breathe before lunch or on, let's say, the Saturday, and then after lunch or, or the next day, you'll trade places. You'll be a sitter for that person. And so people have an experience of both having their own inner journey, but also being there for someone else, being a support for someone else. And it's a wonderful 
model or template for responsible relating in everyday life. You know, we all have very powerful emotions within us and astrology can help to predict when those are likely to surface. Like right now in the world, there's a very powerful Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, triple conjunction in a wide square with Uranus. These throughout history, these have corresponded to, you know, sudden, intense events, feelings of hard labor, like birth contraction, bearing down on the world's psyche. When we see that humans, you know, the people around us have these energies inside us, we can help to support them to face those emotions and energies in a responsible way while not aiming them at each other as much. It doesn't help to yell at our partners, you know, for example, but it can be very helpful to yell in a soundproof room or into pillows or a parked car and so on. But in a session with supportive sitters would be the ideal. And, and in this kind of work, people have full permission to make sounds of any intensity, any duration. And we know that it is just so much better to get things out of the system. That takes me back to Stan Groff's observation that these emotions, it's a finite pool. I've got to go to the holotropic breath workshop, you know, over Valentine's weekend in Oakland where you and I met. And I had never had the experience, the sitting experience. And, you know, that choosing of a partner, having the experience personally knowing that you're being held, knowing that someone is holding the space. In this case, it was a gentleman who I'd never met before the weekend and bonded and connect. And I mean, he chose me. He said, you you will be partners. <laughs> and it was fantastic. And then in our case, it was, as you said earlier, it was a morning. I breathed in the morning and he sat. And in the afternoon after lunch and some integration and some mandala work, you know, I sat and held space for him. The sitting was profound. Being in a room in, in space with others who were both sitting and breathing, what a privilege. What a fine and incredible experience that was. It was an honor to be there. I remember I had a Kundalini experience in the fall of 1982. Left university at that time, went back later. But I went down to Esalen to be in a weekend workshop with Joseph Campbell. The Kundalini was happening that entire fall, but they had free holotropic breathwork sessions twice a week available to the Esalen community. Rowan was putting them on. So I got to do that. And I remember lying there, and I think in my second breathwork session, maybe, just thinking, this is kind of the prototype religion or prototype spirituality. It's just people supporting each other to allow what's inside to come forth in a non-judgmental way in the arms of nature. You know, the sunshine was outside. I could see trees outside. And I just remember thinking this truly is the generic spirituality. It's an example of the generic spirituality. There are many variations of it in various cultures and so on. Here we are, you know, we don't know what things are going to look like a week from now, a month from now, six months from now. You're in Canada, I'm in the United States. We can't cross the border. You know, strange times indeed. Holotropic breath workshops, these are things that happen and people can access. 
and again, we're talking about, you know, breathing, evocative music, specific body work, post experience. It seems to me, as you just said, you know, kind of a prototype spirituality. How do we introduce people? Like if somebody's listening and they're thinking, you know, holotropic breathwork, Jeff, like where do I start? Obviously, I'm going to put up references, but to me, it seems like a obvious way to begin one's journey. It's safe and effective. It's very powerful. And yet, unlike psychedelics in a breathwork session, if you slow your breathing down, then you will decrease the intensity. So it's a wonderful introduction. I mean, I wouldn't call it entry level. You know, it's fairly powerful and it can be done at any point. I remember someone saying they were in an ayahuasca ceremony somewhere, perhaps in Mexico or Latin America, and they did ceremonies on one day, the next day, holotropic breathwork. So they alternated. And he was surprised at the intensity of the breathwork experiences. I think that would be a wonderful model because it helps people to integrate and complete anything that the psychoactive substance brings up. You could Google in your state holotropic breathwork and your state. There are practitioners, I think, in, in every state or certainly nearby. It's obviously on hiatus right now because of COVID. But if these vaccine trials pan out, then perhaps by the spring it will be safe again to do breathwork workshops. It's really burgeoned in the last few years. That's encouraging. Yeah. There are many people out there who already use psychedelics and cannabis, which I consider a mild psychedelic. So another thing people can do is to use them in a little more internalized, deliberate way. For example, with cannabis, if you treat it as a psychedelic, you will have more powerful experiences. Do it less often but in a more deliberate, intentional way. In a soundproof room, when you have four or five hours of unimpeded time, turn off your cell phone, put on evocative music, and then just lie down, stay lying down on your back with limbs uncrossed, palms up is the most open position, though that's not that important. And just let the mother give birth to you. Give up control. Uh, let any emotions that want to come out come forth let your body move in any way it wants to you can express aggressions for by you know hitting your bed on the side you know don't hit the walls you have to keep your wits about you you know if people have very serious emotional problems then i wouldn't recommend doing that and it's always good if people are concerned to have a, a sitter there so a spiritual friend it's better if it's not your partner who is there who is completely sober and is just there to hold space while you go through your experience. Using headphones and eye shades is the sort of graphene internalized approach. That's the way that MAPS does their clinical trials and they essentially got that from Groff's early work. Rick Doblin was in the first year of holotropic breathwork certification by Groff. And he's one of the co-founder of MAPS, yes? Right, right. But cannabis, when used that way, can be very, very powerful. And then if people are comfortable and they feel they can handle more intense experience, then then they might be drawn to some more powerful substance like uh, MDMA or 
psilocybin mushrooms. But in general, it's not recommended that people do those on their own. It's really good to have a, a sitter, as I said, uh, a spiritual friend or someone you pay or do trades with who is sober, is not doing any substance that can just hold space, hold your hand if you ask for it. And the safest of all would be a dyad sitting team, a male-female dyad. So you've got both father and mother, yin and yang. If you're projecting on one gender based on your traumas, you've got the safe fulcrum of the other gender there. And with eye shades and headphones, this is a very powerful and surprisingly safe way of exploring the psyche. But it's good to start with smaller amounts and work up if you have a, a good supportive team that you know, can trade sessions with each other. And I appreciate all of that. It's, you know, we're covering a lot of ground. You know, this is obviously a broad, broad subject where we could probably do many, many episodes. <laughs> I hope there are more, I can tell you that. Sounds good to me. But I think a couple of key pieces of the puzzle here for the uninitiated or, you know, the curious, as it says on, you know, kind of the opening page of my website for the curious and open-minded among us, there are, there are places in the world geographically, you know, Northern California, some places in Colorado, if somebody's living in, oh, I don't know, New York State, or it just you, you could pick any number of different places in the United States where people are probably going, well, oh my gosh, like where do you even, do I start? And so again, we're going to go back to these resources that I'll provide in the program notes. You've certainly provided a great deal of context. And I think one of the big takeaways or, or one of the a really important piece of the puzzle for me that I've heard from you and others is... There's this idea of recreational drug use, whether it be cannabis or whether it be psilocybin, mushrooms or LSD, or there are the group experiences, like some people, they get high together and they go out or, or eat mushrooms and they're out in the woods wandering around or what have you with more of a recreational approach. And I, I think that word works versus what you're talking about and what I have had some experiences with, which I prefer, where space is being held, there are sitters, and we have this opportunity to go deeper. We have this opportunity to actually do some healing, plumb the depths of that finite pool that Groth talks about, versus just being out being like, oh, this is great, cool which I think there's probably a place for that sometimes too, but I like the the one-on-one -on -one or the triad, you know, safe space. It just makes sense to me. Oh, it's a beautiful experience. You know, some people compare it to Cape Canaveral. You've got the team there that everyone has their job, but then it's all in the service of this blast off. And you can go places that you couldn't go on your own. Or you're on a boat and you're doing deep sea diving with an oxygen tube and you need people on the boat to make sure that the pump oxygen pump is running and, you know, just to handle external reality. And then you get the opportunity to go explore the, the deep depths of the inner ocean. It's an incredible opportunity. It's a way to feel like we're making things better. We're improving, you know, we're healing. And 
in some of the experiences, we can have a sense that we're not only healing ourselves by decreasing the amount of fear in our psyche or the amount of aggression in our psyche, we are enabling ourselves to feel more satisfaction, more peace of mind, more happiness. And we are also helping to reduce the charge in the collective psyche as a whole. In some transpersonal experiences and collective memories or racial memories, we can get the feeling that we are helping to consume and eliminate karmas from different racial groups. And, you know, I had several powerful experiences from the slave trade. You know, I'm Caucasian, but I identified with Africans being kidnapped and, and the horrors of the slave ships and the brutality of the plantations and so on. And I had a feeling that if enough people were to have these kinds of healing experiences, it could seriously decrease the amount of tension and animosity between different racial groups, reaching the ability to forgive and to be forgiven and the leftover aggression from the past and so on and bitterness. We're at a point now where the way forward for humanity, many people are commenting, is as well as enjoying the benefits of technology around us, we also need to reintegrate the subjective inner side of the psyche. We need to turn our head part ways back to the past now where we can look at the traumas we've been through as a species and begin to heal these leftover traumas and catch up emotionally to where we are technologically was Einstein's great imperative. And now seems like, I don't know, maybe you could say this about most times in history, but boy, right now feels like a really good time to be doing exactly what you're talking about. Right, because we've hit a brick wall. <laughs> we are truly in a birth labor right now. And it's amazing. You know, we're being forced to introspect. It's not as safe to go out and do a lot of shopping and, you know, frivolous expenditures and diversions and distractions. And especially in, you know, April, March, April, May, you know, forced to look inside ourselves, to look at our lives. A side benefit of that is that with Zoom and these other platforms that more people will be working from home, we can reduce carbon emissions, less commuting. And many people are evaluating their lives and, you know, trying to get as much quality from their lives with as little spending as possible. What matters? Right. And so, yes, th these are very supportive transits for that. For, for non-introspective people at like hazard, I guess, you know, President Trump would be in that category. This is a horrible time, you know. <laughs> it's like a nightmare. <laughs> Mormon grandma's, bless her heart, she was a very sweet lady. But she told me in the mid-70s that the 60s were the worst time of her life. <laughs> Right. Right. All depends on your perspective, right? Yeah. With that said, astrologically, are we, and I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Here we are, you know, it's July 21st, the year 2020. As you said, we've hit a brick wall. We're in this birthing experience as a, as a species, let's say. There's a lot of uncertainty that is clear. When you, with all of your knowledge of 
astrology. Do you see anything positive in our future? <laughs> what do you what do you see out there? Can we hope for things to start coming our way sometime down the road? Well, I heard a talk by Rick Tarnas recently, and he pointed out what many people are saying, that this is just a test run for climate change. I mean, this is just a tiny little homeopathic dose of the challenges coming our way unless we can reduce our carbon emissions. From that point of view, the most merciful thing that the gods and goddesses, quotation marks, could do is to, you know, put pressure on us now so we can try to get ahead of the wave, you know, do more introspection. So more specifically, I don't see the pressure easing up anytime soon. We're in this Saturn-Pluto conjunction for another year and a half. And about another, I think, maybe nine months or so of Jupiter joining with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Mars is about to rejoin that powerful alignment. By the end of this month, so within about a week, Mars will be forming a, it's called an opposition, a 180-degree opposition to the planets Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto, which are in Capricorn. We will be in that opposition right through uh, the end of the year. It's something like what we experienced in March and April when Mars was in conjunction. Sorry, Mars is forming a square to the Jupiter-Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So Mars is an instigator. You know, Mars, the god of war, it, it's connected with aggression and it kind of forces issues and it adds energy to things. So essentially the saturn pluto is like this hard labor in the psyche dark night of the soul and jupiter amplifies the process so the sense of uh, not just an epidemic but a pandemic jupiter enlarges and expands whatever it touches now uh, the sense of a global threat and jupiter also helps us to feel those emotions more it turns up the volume so that we can feel the underlying energies and emotions now we've been in a little bit of a break from the the threat though i know that the second wave or the you know the first wave continuing in the, the southern and western states has been going for about three to four weeks but by all accounts you know we're in for a bit of a bumpy ride for the rest of this year it's a great time to do sessions it's a great time to face our inner material and these transits will be very supportive for that kind of work in a responsible way these are not very supportive transits for you know doing acid and then just walking around town or something like that but they are supportive <laughs> for deliberate events that we create for ourselves when we have sitters and soundproof room and eye shades and headphones but mars is going to stir things up and the sense of the culture wars and the Buddhists have an expression. We can't remove the shoe of ego. We have to wear it out. And I think that's what's <laughs> happening now is that people like Donald Trump are probably going to just try their hardest to go the, the route that they're on until it just completely fails. So we're in for a ride. You know, it's fascinating to me, Ren, when 
or 128 days along or something like that. And in the context of a lifetime or, or what have you, it's a blink of an eye to hear you talk about, you know, we're in for a bumpy ride and it's going to go on for a little while. And that there's work that we can do as individuals. And, you know, lots of people are taking a closer look at themselves and their lives and things that matter. And, you know, I think this just plays right into that. Yes. And, and you're absolutely right. There are things we can do as individuals. I think the single most important thing is we need to feel deeply our emotions. Every emotion that emerges within us is there for a reason. The only way we can release trauma is to feel it deeply. And every time we feel it, we're releasing some part of it, automatically consuming it out of the system. And so these transits help us to feel fear. And Groff was able to show that the root of all fear is the fear of death. And if we face it completely in everyday life and in sessions, then fear disappears from people's lives and can certainly be reduced along the way. So it's very important that we trust our psyche, trust our own inner healer, intrinsic self-healing intelligence, and cooperate with the emotions that are surfacing inside us. And if we feel angry, then go find a soundproof room and yell, you know, hit pillows and so on. If we're sad, cry. If we feel fear, let our imagination take over and let it become even bigger. You know, really feel that emotion. It doesn't make things worse to feel a negative emotion. It actually helps us. Yeah, open ourselves up to the to the feeling. And I think that's to feeling, not to the feeling, but to actually feeling what's going on in our, you know, internally. And, and you say it so eloquently, Ren. I think there's, well, number one, I, you know, I'm honored and pleased and privileged. And thank you for coming, being willing to jump on ATBS, the podcast, have a conversation with a guy you met, you know, over a weekend and share this vast knowledge that you have that you've collected and i appreciate you coming on and spending the time and i'm hopeful this won't be our last conversation that we get to put out in the world together i certainly hope not i would love to jeff and it was a real highlight of the oakland workshop to connect with you you're a very warm hearted person and it was just wonderful to to share that thank you thank you for this opportunity for people out there that haven't had an astrology reading for a while or maybe you've never had one i'm doing discounted readings until september 1st normally 225 i'm doing them for 195 us and it would be an honor to spend that quality time looking at your archetypal dynamics this year and for your whole life and i can offer specific ways that you can work with the energies and emotions that are coming up for you I'm also doing an online 10-month course in archetypal and holotropic astrology beginning in the end of September, once a week. I'll be looking at all the material we've been talking about. I'll be tying it in with the birth charts of actors, directors, musicians, painters, philosophers, writers. I'll be reading excerpts of great poetry and literature, clips from movies, you know, like maximum three minutes of a movie a 10 percent of songs we're allowed to show 
And really the greatest examples that I know of in both popular and traditional music that illustrate these archetypal energies. And I think people will find it to be a very rich multimedia journey through the you know, hero or heroine's journey. I love it. It would be an honor to have anyone participate in that. You know, what I love is hearing what you're doing. So you can find Ren at renbutler.com. Listening to what you're talking about and, you know, a 10-month online course You've got a podcast, you've got a great website, you've got books that are out there, you're doing online course coming up, and I think it's wonderful. And so for any listener who's curious, renbutler.com, the books are there, Ren's history, you do a whole dream sequence and astrology of dreams, and there's a rich well of information and knowledge here. So, you know, visit renbutler.com and I can't wait to do a reading with you and I'm going to follow up and I look forward to that. Yeah, me too. Fantastic. Well, Ren, enjoy summer on the island. I can't wait till the borders open up. I'm going to take you up on your offer and invitation. I'm going to come visit. Oh, that'd be great. Really looking forward to it. The shared bond between Canadians and Americans, you know, in the sort of uh, progressive side of our societies is really a wonderful part of my life. So. So we will connect. We will stay connected. I'll put all kinds of information in the program notes. And and Ren Butler, thank you for joining me on ATBS, the podcast today. An absolute privilege and a joy. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. If you are a regular listener, you know one of my intentions for and with ATBS The Podcast is to shed light on subjects and into rooms we may not be familiar with. I feel as though we accomplished that over the past hour or so, and I hope you feel that way as well. You can check out Ren at renbutler.com. As always, the program notes will be full of references for you to explore. Thanks for listening and sharing ATBS The Podcast. Until next time, enjoy your journeys.